Black Cats Run Podcast. I'm Tristan Black Ingersoll, and this is Black Cats Run. In today's episode, we're talking a little bit about how to test lactate and specifically some ideas about what we want to understand. Specifically about what lactate is telling us about the body and how it's functioning physically during athletic performance, because that helps inform what we want to be emphasizing when we are testing for our lactate threshold. This is also the audio from a YouTube video that we're uploading, uh, and all of the visuals referenced in here are on the video, so if you want to have an opportunity to listen to this and then see what is being referred to as it's being discussed, you can check us out on the YouTube channel. Let's get into today's episode. inquiries about, well, we want to try to do these lactate things that are being discussed on the podcast. How do we actually establish and figure that out? And I've said many times um, in the episodes, I think we have 50 plus episodes now on the pod. Um, So whatever, that is 60 hours. Over the 60 hours of podcast content we have so far, I've emphasized that Frequency and volume are the two most important factors of training success. And that fits with the general rule that practice increases proficiency and that we see across all things that people improve at, the more they're able to practice, the more we improve. That's the process of learning and exercise and training as much as some people like to see um, this separation of the jocks and the nerds as this, you know, dichotomy that should never be challenged or questioned. Um, Training is a process of the body learning about its environment and making some adaptations in response to that environment. And after frequency and volume, you're left with the question of, well, how fast or how intense or how hard am I supposed to do that? And so we have this sort of paradox where frequency and volume are the most important thing to in, or, in order to see and experience improvement. But at the same time, um, 
if you don't know the intensity, then the frequency and the volume won't work for you. So just knowing the intensity is useless. And I think we see a lot of people essentially brute forcing their way towards improvement without understanding um, these concepts. And you could really go into more detail about this stuff, but at a certain point, you know, you don't want to really come across as though we're on the podcast here to sort of witch hunt people's understandings. I mean, I think people are reasonably entitled to pursue this stuff how they want. And that's probably why we operate this podcast at a financial loss every month. Um, because a lot of the ideas we're talking about here are really challenging and questioning a lot of that kind of, um, lone wolf, um, you know, sensibility. And I don't mean that in a, uh, masculine way, I mean that ubiquitously and that all high-performing athletes, I think, really thrive and build their sense of ego off of their ability to handle this level of intensity and adversity. And if you take that away from them and you change it to something where it doesn't need to be that hard, what are they going to be left with? Um, And this idea that, well, actually, your rarity is a product of a flawed approach, and actually there should be an abundance of performance. So if you take away somebody's scarcity of unique ability, and that's where their sense of self is tied to, um, then you're really rattling their cage. So we're going to rattle the cage. (laughs) Let's test lactate. So I'm going to bring this graph up a couple times as a reference. This is a graph from December of 2018. Uh, when I first got a lactate meter, and this is a graph of my fitness and my brother Camden's fitness, and it's a really good demonstration because I had some stuff going on where I had basically hadn't really worked out for probably six to eight weeks, and I wasn't in particularly good shape before that, and um, then you have uh, my brother's fitness, and he was also not in even necessarily top form or top fitness or however you want to think about that at this time, but you can see right the difference. And I think this is really illustrative of why is it so important to develop fitness with the goal of, I want to be able to produce velocity and produce then the power needed to produce that velocity at a low lactate level. And it just so happened to line up in the test we're at 320 watts where I gave up. I mean, I probably could have done another step, right? And I guess gotten my lactate up to like 18 millimoles, but it was just like, what's the point? It was already so unbelievably hard. And um, the interest I had was finding, um, you know, the threshold. And I had gone well over what at the time I thought that value was, was four, but I'm at 11.1 millimoles at 320 watts and Cam was still within his uh, threshold. Um, He's at 0.9 and that essentially would imply that, you know, he is functioning in a metabolic manner where his mitochondria are sufficient to utilize uh, the lactate that's available and, you know, convert that into actionable energy. And therefore, we can conclude that he's basically doing 320 watts with slow twitch, type 1 muscle fibers, and I am burning myself out 
at 11.1 millimoles, which means that I'm full on um, uh, type 2 muscle fibers, glycolytic power, which will come up later. And I also point out that um, 5.7 millimoles, for those of you who are uh, glycolytic power enthusiasts, although I'm going to try to rattle that cage too here in a bit, um, 5.7 millimoles, he didn't fail at that. So if you're looking at this and you're saying, well, yes, you know, the endurance athlete doesn't have as much glycolytic power, um, he could have kept going. It's just like he got to four and he did another one, right, to see what happens. And okay, he was done, right? He didn't need to keep going. There was no point. But you look at the difference, right? This is a huge disparity. Um, and, you know, the reality is if you look at some of this data, uh, you know, there's some evidence that suggests this lactate curve that he exhibited is, is you know, at least look, looking at the collected lactate threshold data, um, you know, it's it's better than probably the bottom half of people who ride the Tour de France. And you know, that might sound like that must be hyperbole or something. But, I mean, it's just when you look at the data, like, you know, Indigo San Milan has put out there and some of the stuff they see written and, and, you know, put online for people to look at, you know, these millimoles at this power to weight ratio, that's where that's at. Now, obviously, there's other aspects to that, right? You know, how long can you function that threshold? I'm not saying that he would finish in the middle of the pack at the tour, but I think it also suggests something about the extent to which more of us are capable of getting extremely fit than maybe we realize. And this sort of stratospheric rarity of performance is, I think, a consequence of the fact that a lot of us, for a variety of reasons, never find our way to the intensity so that no matter how much we manipulate our frequency and volume, we just don't really make that much progress. Or we progress to a point and then we're just sort of stuck. So what we need to understand here before we talk about uh, testing this is that lactate is energy. Whatever you've heard about lactate being toxic or lactate causing the pain in your legs, that is false. It literally doesn't do that. Um, lactate, as we just saw in the previous graph, right, as it gets starts to become more difficult, the lactate is increasing, but it is an incorrect conclusion um, to say that, well, the lactate is making you tired because what's actually changing is that in the production of energy, um, lactate is being created and then being utilized and it is because it is a source of energy and that's what the body does with energy. And so it's a, it's a byproduct um, you know, in part of glycolysis. And that's why when you're using more type two muscle fibers, you have more lactate and you don't really go to the point of having like lactate accumulation unless the mitochondria can't use it anymore. We'll elaborate a little bit more on that, but essentially lactate is energy and we need to recognize this as a fundamental principle, because when you try to understand anything about this, it always has to rationalize with lactate is energy. And if you're reaching a conclusion about lactate and it's not in the context of the body uses this as energy, then you're going to reach incorrect conclusions. And this is why a lot of these paradigms about like tolerating lactate or clearing lactate, and I, don't, I like to use the word utilize because if it's energy, it's used. Uh, it's super inefficient for the body to take energy and then just 
dump it away. Okay, that flies in the face of everything we know about um, you know, selective evolution, that efficiency is a key characteristic that is selected for. And an organism as successful as humans would not have gotten to the point where it was if we just um, produced uh, lactate and, and then just like at this energy unit and then just like got rid of it. Okay, it doesn't make sense. So we have sort of this lactate paradox. If lactate is energy, then why does exercise become harder as lactate accumulates? If it's energy, why would the production of more energy um, cause increased levels of fatigue? And the reason for that is because if it's accumulating, it's because it's not being used. And people oftentimes mistakenly assume that lactate just starts appearing when we get tired. But that's not the case. It's we're becoming tired because we've crossed over our ability to utilize that lactate. So if we simple dichotomy, um, we've got on the left, right, we've got aerobic type 1 muscle fibers. Let's associate these with mitochondria. These are the muscle fibers that are really good at using lactate. And then we've got the anaerobic type 2 muscle fibers. These are the muscle fibers that are really good at glycolysis, and they, you know, we can glycolytic power, okay, uh, you know, breaking down glucose into energy, okay, and then the one of the byproducts of this is lactate, you know, and I would think of that as like an efficient mechanism by the body to then take byproducts and actually convert them, you know, into an item that can be then further metabolized again, and then shunting that back towards this mitochondrial system because the body's um, uh, evolutionary bias again is to be efficient we can simplify this and we can say that you have the slow twitch and the fast twitch and one of the problems with those terms is that people think that well you know like in running this is something i learned in running culture is that you it's hierarchical and you've got the people with the fast twitch and they're the awesome runners and then you've got the dubbers with the slow twitch and just sort of fumbling along but I want to suggest to you that fast twitch fibers aren't faster. I mean, I had all that glycolytic power on that graph. You ask yourself, who's going to win that race, myself or my brother, right? At that, Not that I'm ever going to beat him in a race, but certainly at that fitness point, it would, there was no chance. So higher peak lactate accumulation isn't a faster athlete. And uh, there's this stuff in triathlon, you know, which is especially long-distance triathlon, you know, People are doing races that are three, four times as long as just running a marathon uh, road race. And, you know, there's this obsession with glycolytic power and this concern of, well, I'm not maintaining my glycolytic power. And I just don't think that makes any sense. Kipchoge runs 105 consecutive 400-meter runs in 69 seconds, right, in a row. He does that, right? There's no recovery. Consecutive 400s in a row, no recovery. That's slow twitch. That's very low blood lactate accumulation. According to the glycolytic people, somehow Elliot Kipchoge's 437 pace is not fast, like because it's being done off of slow twitch and, you know, mitochondrial efficiency, it's not fast. Like 437 pace is 437 pace. Like he's traveling at that velocity. You know, that's that. So glycolytic power, who cares? The goal is to produce the power aerobically. 
that power, that velocity, we want to produce it aerobically. So who cares about glycolytic power? To keep producing lots of lactate, um, you have to have glycolytic power. You actually just limit your ability to get where you can to do to do that power aerobically. Okay, so this idea. Let me elaborate what that means because that might seem a little bit, you know, obfuscated or unclear. Um, so. If when people want to continue to produce lots of lactate to prove, right, that they have this capacity, what you're doing is you're making a trade-off because you're spending time trying to ensure that you can build up to this high level of uh, lactate accumulation on this conception that somehow that's going to lead to improved performance or speed. But what I the point is that that's not true. If you can produce a 437 tempo you know, and, and how many, um, you know, Ironmans are, are, are one with people closing, you know, out, you know, faster than 430 pace. You know, I've talked in an episode about, you know, I would question how many uh, Ironman triathletes can really go out and run a good mile, you know. And so for all this glycolytic power, yeah, like who cares? If you can have, I'm not, I demonstrate that in my test results against Camden. I could do a ton of glycolytic power at 320 watts, okay? But I can be doing all this glycolytic power and then I'm going to get destroyed because the other guy has has no glycolytic power and so that and because he's keeping pace with me that means he can then accelerate into his higher intensity and I'm already at the point of failure. So when you get focused on this and you think that this is what we're trying to determine lactate, you're just going to get worse. Or, you know, if not worse, you're certainly going to leave the opportunity to improve on the table because, you know, by making choices to emphasize that, then you are literally undermining the training that's going to improve our mitochondrial capacity. So these terms of slow twist and fast twitch, you know, I think get in the way of what we're trying to understand. And so when we talk about testing, that's why you're going to see that I don't care about, you know, max lactate. I think it's irrelevant. And um, I think it's one of those things that you can look at after the fact and say, isn't that interesting, that blank? But I don't think, um, you know, it's useful in terms of training strategy. So we don't care about that. Um, We also don't care about the idea of there being a second threshold. Okay, that's just irrelevant. Um, It doesn't exist. So you're also not going to see that. We're identifying threshold. There is only one threshold, and it's the point at which Right, these you transition from being mitochondrial efficient to you have um, lots of lactate, right? And through you know because of lactate shuttle and glycolysis, you have this energy and it's potential energy that's there, and we want to be able to um, you know make use of that energy. And the way we do that is by increasing the threshold, and that happens when we have more mitochondrial capacity. So again, right, you know, look at the graph, okay? You know, what good is that mito, um, what's good is the mitochondrial capacity? What good is the glycolytic power? Obviously, the mitochondrial capacity is superior, okay? It's superior. Um, You know, that's the concept here that we need to understand with this training is that's what we're trying to identify and that's why lactate threshold is so powerful And I know that people get hung up on this anxiety of speed, 
You can check out our uh, episode, um, The Speed Merchant, if you want to hear more thoughts about that concept. So the other thing that comes up is maximum lactate steady state. And this is also a bag of beans because, um, you know, it's based on this idea of there being like, you know, a 30 minute thing. And then what's the highest lactate, the highest pace you can go or wattage you can do or work you can sustain without lactate, you know, stacking at that intensity. So this is a diagram that I just kind of threw together to try to represent you know, how I, how I think about this and picture this. And, you know, basically, um, this is the way I think most people kind of visualize this is they see this like effort over, um, like most people are only trying to train in, you know, that type two glycolytic zone, because anytime you're going over threshold, which is this very controlled, relaxed effort, people are, that's what you're doing. And, um, that's it. Those are the that's, those are the two states, and that's why I've said that there's really only one zone because the only really effective zone for training is essentially, you know, training that that threshold, and then when you eclipse that threshold, well, then you're starting to get to the point where, you know, as you increase, and here we have it modeled in running speed minutes per mile, um, as you increase running speed. You know, you start to get a little more lactate. And as that lactate is going up, well, then you're reducing that. You're also experiencing a reduction in the amount of time you can run that speed. And the reason why I'm using uh, intensity in minutes per mile instead of something like watts is because I think it's more intuitively obvious to people that as you run faster, you can't run that speed for as long. Okay. So, you know, but. The reality is, if we really think about it, it's like in that type, you know, that level that, you know, type one mitochondria level, like at every pace from say 20 minute pace, let's say this athlete's threshold is six minute pace from 20 minute to six minute pace, like the lactate is the same, right? And that's what you see in that graph, um, you know, with Camden, every 20 watts, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same. And then, you know, so you're gaining seven miles an hour in velocity here without any change in the lactate. Does that mean that the body doesn't produce? No. And that's not doesn't mean the body doesn't produce more. Of course the body is producing more energy. It's just using it efficiently so it's not present in the blood because it's getting used. Right? It's present in the blood because the body can't take advantage of it. Okay? And that's why the body is slows down, you get tired, is because you can't take advantage of the available energy. But then to go from six minute pace to five minute pace, you know, might go all the way from, you know, 1.1 or one millimole all the way up to five or six millimoles. And that's just two miles an hour, you know, and we're so people get so fixated on training at that intensity, right? And then the concern and so then people look at the ceiling and they say, well, it's a glycolytic ceiling, right? I can't go faster because it's glycolytic, but this has to do with a, a, an issue of scale because really you should look at it like this, <laughs> you know, that, um, and I'm sure this isn't exactly to scale, but I'm trying to juxtapose to make the point, right? That actually we should be saying, oh my God, the overwhelming majority of what I can do is type one, it's mitochondrial um, lactate utilization. And it's a very, very tiny fraction that I can go beyond that, um, 
you know, which is this glycolytic thing. And that's because um, we have all of these increasingly short distances all the way down, like in track and field to like a 60 meter dash or something. But, and, it, and because that's where so many of the races, you know, are done over these um, by compared to the metabolic capacity of this, uh, you know, mitochondrial aerobic threshold thing, like when you're able to utilize the lactate. Um, it's just so many of those races are short that it just creates this illusion of significance to those. But that, and the other things too, is that like, that's just the way those races go. Right. But like, you can see here that obviously what you're trying to do is you're trying to just continue to take over and pull efforts that are currently, um, supra threshold or supra lactate threshold efforts that are where you're seeing lactate in excess of whatever that steady state is, as I'm defining steady state, um, and, you know, in this case, it's about one, right? You're trying to pull that down into the model. And so, you know, that's the fitness difference. It's not about training over it. It's about training at that. So in this model, I would need to be training at 180 watts. And in this model, my brother would be training at, you know, 320 watts. And it can even be a little bit less than that, right? But this is the information that we're trying to figure out. This is what we're trying to identify. And so that means that what we're trying to do is we're trying to differentiate between two zones. And it means there are two zones. And I, again, would say basically there's one zone, okay? And you have that because one of these zones, if you train at it, you're going to see linear, clearly evidenced improvement. And the other zone, not only is your improvement probably going to be really hard to find, but it's going to have a lot of um, adversity and struggle and frustration. And then, you know, yes, some people can do this and improve. All of us can train, you know, at that super lactate intensity and improve to a certain point. And so then when you take a whole bunch of people all basically training in the same bad way, some people are going to be more successful with that than others. That doesn't prove anything in terms of that being effective. It just means if you give everybody, a, you know, a bad option, some people's outcomes will be comparatively less bad than others. But the reality is everybody's options are bad. But because we have so few instances to compare to of people doing other things, we can't see that. And oftentimes we just dismiss that evidence and say, oh, they're just really talented or, you know, they work hard. We just don't even want to think about it. Right? We don't make space to think about that because it conflicts again with our notion of, you know, achievement and the sport is about proving our ability to handle adversity. So there's two steps here to testing, um, right? So we want to identify what's going on uh, with ourselves here. The first step is we want to establish the millimole value that reflects the lactate threshold, i.e. the point of maximum mitochondrial capacity. So protocol here is we want to do three-minute intervals and at the end of each step, um, you know, we want to test and record the lactate. And then we increase by about 20 watts. Uh, 10 second, and it could be 10 seconds a mile for runners who don't have a stride pod. Or, you know, you could do this by some other uh, comparably small increment. But if you've, ever, if you've gotten a power meter for cycling and somebody told you, oh, this is a game changer, and then you got it, and you, like, were waiting and waiting to get really good and, like, you kind of realized after a while you were just sort of the same cyclist you were before. It's because, you know, unless you're using it to identify this stuff correctly, it's not going to work. Okay. 
Um, and a lot of people just use power meters to actually overtrain even more. Um, and, and that's why it's not really a wonder cure because if you don't have the intensity correct, nothing's going to work. And it's the same thing concept is like if you've, you know, trying to play a trumpet from the wrong end, it doesn't matter how hard you try, it's just not going to be successful, right? You know, that's really what we're talking about here. I mean, this is basically the keys, keys to the engine that is improvement. Um, so you need to start the first test at a very low intensity, basically close to walking effort. If you're running, you might actually even consider starting with walking if you've never done anything like this before. You know, but you know, if you're on the bike, easy spinning, you know, whatever, however, whatever movement is analogous to borderline walking intensity. And then you can continue the test until lactate is clearly increased with each step. You could do what I did and try to push it a little further if you have curiosity um, and you just like to be miserable. Or you can do what Cam did. And he said, okay, I figured out what we wanted to figure out. I'm going to stop. And now I know that... Um, and I've explained this on other episodes. You can check out our Behind the Curtain episode if you want to hear more about this. But now I know that there's no meaning to those uh, 4.0 and 2.0 numbers. And I tried to apply those. And that's another example of just because you have a lactate meter um, and you can do a step test doesn't mean that it's going to work if you don't actually know uh, where you want to be. So then you want to graph the data. And that's where this graph comes from. So from this graph, you can see that actually my lactate threshold is 1. And I started at 180 watts, and I basically <laughs> probably should have started at 120, so I could have seen that you know flat line leading into it because I immediately started accumulating lactate, which you know makes sense given the level of fitness I had at the time. It's really no surprise. Um, and then right for Camden's threshold is um, in millimole is 0.9, right? So we have the same value. And I believe that if you're an athlete who's done, has a long training history and has done a lot of general aerobic activity, your power at threshold or your velocity at threshold might not be very high, but I think the actual lactate will be low. And I think that's because you actually probably have pretty good um, mitochondrial function and efficiency at those lower intensities. And I actually think if you have a lower millimole value as your as your baseline as your level line it's easier to see with camden's purple line here i think you're going to be more primed for rapid improvement because you have better mitochondrial capacity and that's where i think over time you see that uh your lactate at steady state um will tend to drift down more towards one and under one and that will be one thing that will happen with fitness in addition to the fact that you know you will go further and further up the intensity scale before the lactate will accumulate above that number. So we take this number now, and then we can use the test further because this only, only I think the best value of the step test is to just identify what is that number look like? How much millimole do I accumulate when I'm still um, below threshold? Cause all this is saying is where am I switching from? What do the numbers look like when I switch? Okay. So then you want to really figure out the threshold intensity. And some of this stuff will be explored on some other podcast episodes. I'm working on an episode called The Heart Knows, where I'm going to talk about heart rate. And I'm going to, um, I think, throw out some things that are going to really challenge uh, people's thought process. And if you're a longtime listener of the pod, I'm sure the prospect of it being challenging how people think is kind of what you've come to expect. 
don't worry too much about your pace and don't even worry too much about your watts because our real goal, and I believe this is essential, is you need to learn how it feels. And uh, you can use power and then maybe heart rate and pace to sort of help coach yourself onto that feel. But ultimately, you need to know how it feels. And the best way to determine where you're at, um, you know, after using your lactate meter is your brain. And then eventually your brain becomes better than the lactate meter because in order to use a lactate meter, you got to stop and use it. But the best thing to do is to use the lactate meter to train your awareness. And it's not that hard to do, right? We're really good at learning things as humans. That's why, you know, we have YouTube and stuff like this is we're capable. Our brain is capable of learning and um, physical self-awareness is, is one of those aspects. You know, recognizing a level of physical exertion, you know, is not some sort of you know, um, mysticism, it's, you know, very straightforward, but I think most of us have been programmed to not believe we're exercising productively until we're really uncomfortable. So you have to reteach a lot of us. We need to reteach our brain and that's where the coaching is so important. I mean, this is the value of a coach. I think coaches aren't valuable to write schedules. They're valuable because they, you know, that's what coaching is, right? It's working with somebody through interaction and discussion and feedback and, you know, giving them different things to try, getting them to that level of competence and um, and awareness of what they're exactly trying to do. And then that leads to performance. So the protocol we want to use now is 10-minute intervals. They can be plus or minus a minute. But again, start at a very easy effort. And if you're not sure, um, start at something, again, basically at walking intensity. And then between each interval, you want to test lactate. And it's not a crisis to get back into the next interval, you know, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, probably won't take you any longer than that to test. It will take, you can even have somebody else test you. If you have a buddy um, who's willing to do that, save yourself some time. And, but it's not, it's not urgent to get back into the interval. Obviously you want to get going. um, But like they're 10 minute intervals for a reason. You know, the whole point is that you're going long enough that it will sort of settle settle in. And as long as you did some sort of a, you know, a 10 or 15 minute, I guess, you know, warm up activity first, you won't have to worry about lactate, you know, being like too high in your first interval because you're just starting exercise. So then increase incrementally every 10 minute step until you get a lactate reading exceeding your threshold value. Um, and by the way, this doesn't necessarily have to be progressives. I mean, it's good to do it in a progressive uh, manner just because it's organized and, and it makes sense to sort of move your effort. But if you do a 10 minute effort well over threshold, um, and the common experience is people do very easy, if they're doing it in running, for example, do a very easy jog. Um, and then they'll do like their regular running effort. And then they'll do what they think threshold is. And then they'll be way over. And so then, you know, you know, taking a few minutes and then Okay, let me try again for 10 minutes. And then, like, you know, you dial this in, right? I mean, this, and that's the point of this protocol is to figure out and then get to that thing and you 10 minutes and you say, okay, that's my intensity, right? And when you have a coach there, you can be talking about how it feels. And when I, and that's as a coach, that's one of the things that I do is I work with people with this test and, you know, I talk to them and I, you know, take a look at their body language and, you know, through this, we try to, you know, we dial into this intensity, right? And then we try to really talk about how that felt and right away work on building connections 
you know, between our conscious awareness and then, you know, the symptoms of physical exertion. And just to reemphasize, 10 minutes is sufficient for the lactate to find its steady state. And uh, the tests are, the steps are nothing to be concerned about um, because lactate threshold is easy. Um, And then that's also good. And this is a recurring protocol that you would do. I think you do every four weeks. Um, I think if you're doing it every four weeks and you're not improving, um, you're either we're incredibly fit to begin with, um, or you just aren't training correctly, right? And that's again the, the value of a coach. And you know we're happy to do individual consultation with people at Black Cats Run. You can send us a message on our Instagram uh, at Black Cats Run. So how do you apply this to training? Well, here's just a couple ideas to think about, and then an experiment that you can use. So. Hypothesis number one, um, if repetitions you're doing are short enough, then you can basically work over threshold as measured by watts or measured by work intensity without exceeding lactate threshold measured by accumulation. And then um, my second hypothesis with plays off of that being true, if that first hypothesis is true, then I believe it's the case that if you train at um, you know that resistance, um, you know, of, you know, over threshold measured by watts or intensity, if you train at that resistance, but remain aerobic by keeping the interval short enough that you're not making that accumulation, I think you will actually increase your rate of improvement because you're going to prime your long-term synaptic potentiation or however people, whatever people call that. You're going to prime your synaptic pathway, your nervous system uh, through accessing those, uh, those higher levels of resistance. Okay. And by accessing those higher levels of resistance, um, you know, in an aerobic manner, we're not going to generate fatigue. And then I think you're more likely to naturally be, you're going to progress faster because you're not going to be running into this mechanical barrier. Plus, you're not going to have a bunch of fatigue, which also then tends to exacerbate, if not just straight up create the mechanical barrier in the first place. So experiment you can do. Number one, establish those maximum watts that you can do uh, without lactate starting to accumulate. And this is identified through that 10-minute step test. And so then do intervals of three minutes with, say, maybe six-minute recovery, starting at those watts you identified as the LT, and add five to 10 watts for each successive interval uh, or a proportional amount of work. And then test the LT after each interval. Determine if, by doing short intervals, uh, you can work above LT watts as established in the test. How many watts can you do before exceeding the threshold? So how far above that? And then you can repeat this process with different length intervals. And my further hypothesis is if that is true, if it's true that you can um, work with uh, shorter intervals and do more power or resistance mechanically, but do it metabolically um, under or within threshold or, you know, there's a, you can marginally go over threshold um, without getting into the problems of fatigue and whatnot. But that's something you have to learn through experiment, experience and experiment and working with a coach to sort of discuss and figure out what you're going on and find a way to sort of evaluate that. So I think short intervals will allow you to train the body for higher watts uh, work without getting the fatigue um, associated uh, with that process. And I think that's huge, right? This allows you to manage fatigue in training. Um, 
and that the intervals, right? The point of intervals is that they are there to make training more effective by increasing the quality of our practice, not by allowing us to work even harder. And that number two, I think improvement in fitness should then be reflected by a couple different things, an ability to work and uh, an increasingly high wattage um, for short intervals over identified LT watts without seeing accumulating lactate. I think you should see an ability to decrease the recovery between intervals while still working at watts of X percent over identified LT watts without seeing accumulating lactate and an ability to extend the length of the interval at X percent over identified LT watts without seeing accumulating lactate. And those are, by the way, three ways that you can manipulate and progress training um, sessions. And, you know, another thing that you could do, of course, is you could add more repetitions. Um, So these kinds of strategies become possible and feasible and this kind of like process of now that I know this basic data point, I can experiment and better understand how to approach my training. All this is predicated on correctly identifying the lactate threshold. So you want to get one of these. Like I said, we uh, this podcast is podcast, uh, and now the YouTube channel are operated at a loss um, every month. <laughs> so certainly, um, I'm not taking any kind of revenue or income for for this, but this is where I got my lactate meter. This is where other people get them. I think a lot of people don't even know where you would pick one up, but Nova Biomedical sells one. I think they're less than uh, 300 bucks. And it, if once you, when you know how to use it, it's well worth the investment. And when you can combine that something with uh, a power meter, you're, you know, metaphorically and literally off to the races. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can also check out this episode with the video content on our YouTube channel, Black Cats Run. We also have an Instagram page, at Black Cats Run. You can check that out as well for a lot of these uh, visuals for this and other episodes. Feel free to send us a message there if you're wondering more about testing your lactate uh, or if you have other questions or topics that you would like to see covered in the pod. We'd love to hear from you. We'll catch you next time.